0: Folks, we are, we've been going through Second Peter. It's a really special book to me. Uh, for years, I've tried to think about how, how do I go through this book because it's a meaningful book. And I felt like the time is right now in light of a lot of things happening in our world, things that are happening in the Christian world. And I thought this would be a good time to go through this book. I've already told you that several times over the weeks. And, of course, what we're looking at through this book is how we are threatened, our faith is threatened. And it's not threatened by what we think it's going to be threatened by, but what happens in the culture, what happens in government. Folks, you quit thinking that way because Christianity has thrived in the midst of even more difficult circumstances than what you could think of about what's going on outside. Actually, the greatest threats are from within the church. First of all, I told you the first threat is your ignorance of your own salvation. We looked at that in chapter 1. The second threat comes within the church. That's false teachers. We think of false teachers as being outside the church, Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses. Folks, you're not threatened by them. What the greatest threat is the guys who come within. We're going to talk about that today. And then the third threat, which we're going to look at when we starting next week when we get into chapter 3, is our misunderstanding of our hope about Jesus coming back. So today, we're going to talk about false teachers. And this was driven home to me as I was doing this lesson just yesterday. What do you mean, just yesterday? Well... Thursday, I had to go to a board meeting, because I think a lot of you know that I'm on a mission board, I'm on the the board of Empower Ministries International, and once a year we have a board meeting in Canada. So I had to drive up to Barrie, Ontario, where the offices are of the mission, and it just so happened that Barrie is eight miles away from where I used to pastor. So the first few years that I went up there, that was really awkward for me to go up there because if you know anything about my first pastor, I've shared a little bit through the years with you folks about that. That was a very painful experience for Lori and I. Okay? So this weekend, going up to Barry, I took my friend Dr. G. Remember Dr. G? I brought Dr. G here. He shared with you. Okay, so Dr. G and I were supposed to make a presentation to the board. And so... On Saturday, yesterday morning, Dr. G says to me, as we're getting in the vehicle, getting ready to head to the border, to head to McDonald's, because that's where you know I go, Okay, got to cross the border first to go to McDonald's. Okay, So he says to me, you never have told me about you pastoring here, because everybody mentions that you were here, because there's a lot of Canadians on the board there. And I said, well, uh, we're only eight miles away, do you want to see it? I'd love to, and I'd love to hear the story. So that's hard for me because, folks, this weekend, 20 years ago, I resigned from that church. 20 years ago, I said goodbye there. Well, I mean, I told them I was resigning. I would leave in six weeks. And I had no clue when we resigned where we were going. I was not thinking about Pennsylvania. I was not thinking about Kerwinsville. Okay? And you're probably saying, well, it's a good thing you came here. Yeah, I'm glad I am here. Okay? But there were memories of pain there. One of the greatest pains for me was a betrayal and what happened there. And it was because of a man that I thought was... Good and right. But as I was going through 2 Peter around that time, I realized who he was. And this is the passage we're going to look at today. You say, what has that got to do with anything we're going to talk about today, George? Well, all right, listen. I'm not I'm not ignorant or dumb. I know that a lot of you in all of your years of being a believer, you've gone to, maybe you've gone to the same church, but maybe you've gone to other churches or parishes, and you've had numerous pastors in that time. Am I right in saying that? Okay and and you've had you have fond memories of maybe pastors or priests that were good pastors and priests right you got some good memories of some good guys but then also you've got some memories of some other guys that you were like well they seemed okay at first but man they they destroyed us or they destroyed me there was something that would turned out to be very wrong there. You know what I'm talking about? They turned out to be false. See, this is what we're going to talk about today. Because, listen folks, some guy walking in here and telling you that Jesus is Satan's brother, you would immediately say, get out of here. You're wrong you would say, but that's a false teacher. No. That's another religion. But somebody coming in from among us, because that's, notice now, every passage that talks about false teachers in a church, it says they come up from among us. That is, they come from within the church. They lead us in destructive paths because they're guided by something else. That's what we're going to look at today. Because we need to start vetting our teachers. I would even tell you you need to start vetting George. Don't just assume because George's been here for 18 years, George is okay. No, don't assume that. If you assume that, you're not doing me any favors. You're holding yourself vulnerable. You need to vet. So what does vet mean? Well, vet is to investigate someone thoroughly, especially in order to ensure that they are suitable for the job Requiring secrecy, loyalty, or trustworthiness. Now, we usually use the term in in terms of vetting. We hear that in the political world, right? Because they vet this candidate for Supreme Court, or they vet this person who's running for, you know, and then they'll say, well, they didn't vet him good enough, you know? Well, folks, vet is a common term, but it's something that we need to do in churches. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I happen to know a lot about how churches pick pastors. It isn't good. How do you know that? Well, two reasons. Before I became a pastor, I was involved in providing churches with the names of people to be pastor. I was involved in placement. At Deliberty University. And then being a pastor, I got to experience, and it is a terrible experience, of going around to all these churches and going through their processes about whether or not I should be their pastor. And let me tell you right now, it's not a good system. And it's purely based upon how well do you preach? And do you have the right doctrine? But it has nothing to do with what type of person you are, what's your character. And what we're going to see today is that when Peter talks about false teachers, he's going to look at two things, their character and their message. And that's what we're going to see today. So let's notice with me, we're going to look at 2 Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 10 through 22. If you have it in your Bible, you can read it. It will also be up on the screen. Okay, so let's look at this together. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 10 through 22. Here's what Peter writes. And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord, But these like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed speak evil of things that they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daylight. They are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you having eyes full of adultery, that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity a dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrain the madness of the prophet these are wells without water clouds carried by the tempest whom seem reserved for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever when they speak great swelling words of emptiness they allure through the lusts of the flesh through lewdness the ones who, have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promised them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning, and it would have been better for them if they had not known the way of righteousness, having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having been washed, to her wallowing in the mire. All right, let's take a look at this. We're going to see a couple of sections here. We're going to look, first of all, 10 through 16, we're going to see the character of a false teacher. Folks, I'm going to tell you right now, when you look at any guy, when you are listening on the radio, when you're listening on the internet, when you're listening to any guy, when you're listening, even when you're coming here Sunday after Sunday and you're listening to George, okay? You've got to look at more than just the message. Do you, do you understand that? More than just the message. Because here's what you don't know is going on out there. It's easy for a preacher to get a message. How? I thought he spends time studying and praying about it. No, folks, it's out there. You can just go to the internet. And they'll borrow your message. How do you know that, George? Well, a few years ago, it's been about fifteen years ago, I had a message that I thought was very special, and I submitted it to Preaching Magazine for them to publish it. And they did. It was on suffering. A few years ago, you know how people say, Google your name? You ever Google it yourself on okay. Am I the only one who Googles me? Okay. I, I know better. Okay. Somebody Googled me in front of my friends, and they said, hey, you know that message you did? Somebody else submitted it as their own work, as their own message. And I went and looked, and yeah, it was on sermon something or another. Some Methodist preacher in Ohio took my message verbatim, point for point, even down to the illustrations, the illustration about my grandma. (laughs) And then at the end he said, borrow from the works of George Cannon at Kerwinsville Christian Church. So this dude was preaching that at his own church, but that wasn't bad enough. He had to submit it to another publication to say it was his. So you can't go by just messages. Did you understand what I'm saying? You can't just go by messages. You have to go by something more than a message. What's more than a message? Who they are as a person. So Peter comes along, and he talks about the character. So I'm going to point out some things, four things about their character to come right out of the passage. Let's we'll start off with verse 10. Look what verse 10 says. Okay? Verse 10. And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. Here's the thing, verse 10. They live for themselves and despise authority. Live for themselves, despise authority. First of all, what you're going to notice with these kind of false teachers is it's not about you, it's not about the church, it's not about the Lord, it's about who, folks? Them. Them. Their image, their dream, their vision. Did you understand what I'm saying? It's not about anything other than themselves. It's about how they look and what they can get out of it. And here's the second part that is always amazing. They despise authority. Here, Peter is saying they despise heavenly authority. Because they speak evil of things that they shouldn't be speaking evil of. But they despise authority. So I think about it. I've thought, you know, I've, I've been a believer now since 1985, 34 years. In 34 years, I have sat under lots of pastors. I've been in lots of churches. I haven't just pastored myself. But I can think of leaders that I have known that turned out to be false. And here's one of the key things that has always been true about them. They could not submit to anybody. They couldn't submit to their own board. They weren't willing to submit their own board. They felt that they were above everybody, and they despised all other authority. In fact, here is one of the things that I thought was interesting about them: they always mocked authority. And at first, you know, we have, each of us has a rebellious tendency. Don't don't you have a rebellious tendency? Or am I, again, the only one who has a rebellious tendency? No, we all have a rebellious tendency, especially when you're younger. you got a rebellious tendency because you're like, I want to get out from under mom and dad. You know, we just got that rebellious tendency. And have you ever been in church and you thought, man, he's saying some edgy stuff? He's cool. Yeah, he seems cool, but he's also despising authority. He's living for himself. She's living for himself, herself. They live for themselves, and they despise authority. Here's the other thing I want you to see. Here, I want you to listen to me. They speak with authoritative ignorance. Listen to what Peter is saying. Again, back to verse 10. Peter says, They are presumptuous, self-willed, not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. But these, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of things that they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption. Here's what these guys do. These guys will mock things that they shouldn't mock. They speak authoritatively, like they've got the knowledge, they've got the authority to tell you what it is, and in their authority, they mock things that they shouldn't mock. Like what? Well, here, he's saying they mock demons. And so Peter makes a great point here to point out that even the angels themselves don't mock demons. Why? Because they're angels. and they understand it's serious business, and they understand what happened, and they don't mock them. I can't tell you the number of people I've sat under who mock other, not just angels, but people. You ever sat on a preacher that mocked a group of people? And it may be that that group of people were involved in sin, but you don't mock them. Why? Because whether or not they're in some sort of sin, you don't mock them because Jesus died for them. And they're precious to God no matter who they are. Do Do you understand what I'm saying? See, these guys, they're not just doing it for themselves, they're not just despising authority, but they talk with some kind of authority that is based purely on ignorance. They don't really know what they're talking about. They don't really know what they're talking about. Have you met somebody like that? Or am I the only I must be running in the wrong circles. No, they're out there. Folks, they're on your radio. This is dangerous to you and I. Let's go on third point here, all right? Third thing about their character, all right? It says here, verse 13, that they openly engage their sinful desires and prey on others. They openly engage their sinful desires and prey on others. Look with me at verse 13 and 14. Here's what it says. And we'll receive the wages of unrighteousness to those who counted pleasure to carouse in daytime. All right, let's stop for a moment. All right, so, all right, let's kind of reflect for a moment. All of us struggle with sin. All right, so let's just get that out in the open, put that out there. I think we already realize that every person here, you have something that you struggle with, and that's something you struggle with, you're ashamed of, right? Am I correct in saying that? And you would be shocked if somebody knew that this was your sin thing, okay? Everybody would be like, oh man, I hope nobody ever finds out. And, and usually when you engage in that, you engage in that in what the Bible calls darkness. What does that mean? You engage in it so that nobody else knows about it, right? These guys engage in it right out in the open. And they do it out in the open because they'll have a message. Remember, their message is, got grace, I got freedom. We're, we're, we're not under law, that's legalism. How many of you have heard some of Oh, that's legalism. Well, yeah, there are some things that are legalism, but not everything's legalism. So these guys openly engage in sinful desires. And then the next part I want you to see there is is they prey on other people. What do you mean? Let's let's go a little bit further. Go go a little bit further with me. Look at verse 13. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. All right, stop. That phrase, while they feast with you, means that they just come and take part in the Lord's table without any not even worried about what they're doing but look at verse 14 having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin enticing unstable souls they're preying on other people remember they're out for themselves so what they do is they look for the weakest in a church or a congregation and they hone in on them for what for what they can get out of it. And then it says, here's the one, they have eyes filled with adultery. What does that mean? Well, literally the language is communicating that they view every woman as a conquest, as a sexual conquest. And listen to me, I want you to hear me. You say, is that possible? Yeah, it is. How many times over the last 30 years have you read about some preacher, what? Getting caught doing something you shouldn't have been doing with someone else. I've experienced that firsthand with a friend. And it destroys you when your preacher does that. Some of you have experienced that. This is their character. They openly engage in sinful desires and they prey upon others. Prey upon them. Because, folks, who are they living for? Are they living for the Lord? Oh, we didn't have enough coffee going through here. Are they living for the Lord? No, if you need a coffee, get up, go get one, okay? They're living for who, folks? Themselves. Listen, I want you to know, not everybody comes to church for the Lord. Not everybody comes to church for the Lord. You should know that by now. Some people come in for other reasons. Some people come in to feed their own egos. Some people come in for attention. But a lot of people should be coming for the Lord, but there are other people who are not coming for the Lord. We're talking about leaders here who are in it, who look like they're right, but they're not in it for the Lord. They're in it for who, folks? Themselves. Here's the fourth thing about their character. I want you to see, verse again, verse 14 through 16. They have hearts trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor. They love the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. Here's the final thing I want you to see. They are consumed with personal gain. Remember, I told you it's all about them. So they're out for them. In fact, it's interesting. He mentions a certain prophet from the book of Numbers that prophet from the book of Numbers was a guy by the name of Balaam. If you read the story of Balaam, you find out real quick, Balaam's only interested in one thing, folks. He, he talks to the Lord. He, he, you know, he says, I'm not going to do anything more than what the Lord tells me to do. He's got a great line, but Balaam's only interested in one thing. How big's his wallet? And how much bigger can it get? He's interested in moolah. For you young people, that means money. Okay? He's interested in money. Just here in the last year, we had a well-known preacher on the radio. A lot of you listen to him. I listen to him. He's no longer on the radio. He's no longer in the pastorate, although I just heard rumors about him wanting to get back into the pastorate after a few months off. And he was making close to a million dollars a year. Nobody knew that because they just happened to have a law that said that even the ruling board does not know how much he makes. Wow. Oh, by the way, we don't pay me a million dollars here, okay? (laughs) All right. I'm not asking for that either. That would be a curse. I'm just telling you that there are people, they are in it for what? What? themselves. That's their character. Now, let's stop for a moment, all right? Everything we just talked about, these four points, did any of this have anything to do with what they're saying? No. Not at all. Is it possible that you could say all the right things and still be, excuse me, all the right things and still be a wrong person? Is that possible? Yes. Yes. So it's not what you're saying, although that there is something about that, we'll talk about that here in a moment. You could say all the right things, because the guy we we're talking about that was on the radio, folks, he was saying all the right things. He was just corrupt. So you gotta look at more than just a message. You gotta look at more than just a message. Okay, so then we're going to get to the message now. You say, "Well, what what, what about the message?" Because I mean, if they're saying all the right things, we could still guard ourselves against. Them. No, no, there's a subtlety through their message. He's already mentioned that earlier in verses one to three of this chapter. So let's talk about the message. Okay, the message—that's the second section we're looking at here, verses seventeen through twenty-two. Let's go through these verses together. Look with me at verse seventeen. He says, "This—they are wells without water." They're clouds carried by the tempest for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. When they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. Here's the point I want you to see about their message. They're all show, but there's no substance. They're all show, but there's no substance. I'd like, to be honest with you, I have to tell you this. I love, this is crazy, I love amusement parks. Okay? So I like going to Del Grosso. Now, my reason for amusement parks is probably different than yours. I'm not necessarily a ride guy. I'm a food guy. Okay? I love the. Pre- I'm a pretzel man. So if you see me at Del Grossos, I'm going to get a hard pretzel. Okay. And some of you have been with us at Del Grossos when we take the young people there. Where do I go? The pretzels. Where is that located? Over by the swing thing. Okay. I know where it's located. It hasn't changed every year. Okay. Now here's one of the things I've noticed by being in. Um, being in amusement parks, It's almost true of every amusement park, whether you go down to Del Grosso's or you go down to Pittsburgh. What's the one called in Pittsburgh? Kennywood or, you know, Knoebels or if you go up to Erie to, what's the one in Erie? Idaho, whatever. All of them, you know what I'm saying? Six Flags, whatever, okay? Have you ever noticed they always have a well? It's like a fake well. Some of them are stone, some of them are wood. And it's like, oh, a well. And then you go over there, and it's not a will. It's just something on the top where you can throw money into. Looks nice. They may have a bucket there. But it ain't going nowhere. Because there's nothing there. Looks good, but there's nothing there. That's what he's talking about with the message of a false teacher. Man, it sounds great. Wow, did you hear that story? But then when you really thought about it, it was all fluff. There was nothing there. Nothing. That's what he's talking about. He said, have you ever been out and you're like, oh, it's going to rain. Look at those clouds. Wow, they're black. It's going to come. It's going to get ready. And they just pass over. Nothing happens. Wow, the show was great. But there's nothing there. There's no substance. That's the message of a false teacher. The message of the false teacher is that they are all show, but there's no substance. No substance, folks. Do you understand? Listen, I'm telling you right now, in the world of pastoring right now, it's all about the show. It's all about the show. It's all about how it's presented, how all of that. I'm going to tell you right now, fine. But if there's no substance, it's meaningless. It's meaningless. It's meaningless. Here's the second thing I want you to see. Look with me. Verse 18, we've already read it again. I'll read it to you once more. It says, when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through the lewdness, the ones who actually escape from those who live in error. Here's what it does. The, The message appeals to the sinful desires of the listeners. And here, Peter is actually talking about who the listeners are. When it says here, look at that phrase there, those, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. So first of all, who's that? This is a quiz. I don't have a prize for you, and you're not going to get a grade. Who, Who are the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error? Who would that be? Speak up loud, bro. No, no, it's not unbelievers. Believers. Because we're the ones who have escaped from living among those who are in error, right? So it's saying here that their empty words are appealing to the desires of what? Who? Christians. They say things to appeal to our sinful desires. Now, By the way, it's not like a like a a, because if it's obvious, you would reject it. It's always what subtle, subtle. They speak in such a way to appeal to your desires subtly. In fact, that's what Tip Paul was warning in Second Timothy chapter four. It's up on. Let's put it on the screen there, uh, John. Second Timothy chapter four. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. He's talking about people. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heed to themselves, teachers, and they will turn their ears aside from the truth and turn aside to fables. What? It's talking about people who should know better who because they want people to tell them something that will whatever. They'll listen to this stuff. edgy stuff that allows them to do certain things. This is the subtlety of it. This is the subtlety of it. You know, I, I, I listen to a lot of preachers. I'll just be honest with you. Through the years, I've listened to a lot of preachers. If you come to my office, chances are, if you walk into my office, you'll hear noise. Okay? And and, and it's not quiet riot. Okay? Okay? 80s music, for those of you who don't know. Um, it's usually a preacher. And because I listen to them week after week, you pick up things about where they're going with the direction of their teaching. And you can also pick up when there's a shift. And, and, and I think of one guy in particular that he went from solid teaching to where he drifted off into preaching, are you ready for this, pop psychology. From what the word said to how to have a happy home. How to have happy dogs. How to have happy kids. No, I'm just kidding about, I'm just trying to tell you, it was a drift where you no longer saw the emphasis on God's word, but you saw the emphasis on what? Humanity. Then he was exposed There were red flags there. See, these guys are appealing to our desires. And let me just go ahead and tell you right now, the number one desire you have in your heart, you can't do anything about it until you go to be with Jesus, is you all will have the desire to drift away from the Lord. You just have to crucify it. Because your body doesn't want to walk with the Lord, your body wants to do its own thing, right? Have you noticed that? Have you noticed how difficult it is to come to church on Sunday morning? I mean, Lori's got to constantly tell me, you got to go, you're the preacher. <laughs> do you know what I mean? No, she doesn't do that. I get up before she does. So, okay. All right, listen, here's the next thing I want you to see. This is the thing about their message. I want you to grasp this. You've got to own this one. They offer freedom that leads only to slavery. They have a message that offers you freedom. Oh, you can do that? Throw off the restraints of of the church and the traditions and throw off the legalism. You can do whatever. That's what they're saying here. Look at what verse 19 says. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves to corruption. By whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. You don't don't know how many times I've heard people say, Oh, I love that guy. He just has brought me freedom. A few years later, oh, they're burdened. The life has been sucked out of them by that teaching. Here's the fourth point. They have embraced the sinful that should have been renounced. Look with me, verse twenty through twenty-two. For if they, having escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and sa- through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome the latter and the worse for them than the beginning. What is he saying here? By coming to Jesus or saying they come to Jesus, they throw off sin, but because of their their focus being on themselves and praying on other people, they actually end up what? Getting further into the sin that they should have walked away from. That they should have walked away from. And it's out there folks. It's out there. You say, okay, George, what do we do with this? This has been a long message. Well, this is a serious thing. Let me ask a question. Is this serious? Yeah, this is a threat, right? So, what do we do about it? Two things I want you to do. All right, here's the first one Don't ignore the red flags. Don't ignore the red flags. Remember I told you that this week end is so meaningful to me it's brought up a lot of pain in my life because there was a betrayal. There was a gentleman that I love very dearly who turned out to be false. Now here's the thing though. It wasn't like it all of a sudden happened and I was totally caught off guard. Now I was caught off guard But I'll tell you why I was caught off guard, because I was overlooking things. I was making excuses for the red flags that I was seeing, and I was ignoring the voices around me that were telling me to pay attention to these red flags. What do you mean? I'll be honest with you, my wife didn't care for that dude, but we're a newlywed couple, So she's not going to trash all my friends. (laughs) Right? And this dude married us. And this dude sat on my ordination council. And this dude was instrumental in my getting my first church. But she quietly sat and watched and saw things that didn't add up. And you know what? I saw them too, but I was making excuses for them. There were red flags all along. It didn't all fall into place until the exposure happened of what was going on. And then it was like, oh, oh, that's why that happened. That's why that took place. That's, oh, 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 I am stupid. I should have seen it. Isn't that true for all of us in all of our lives, whether we're talking about preachers or not? You guys see red flags with things that you see, and we just make excuses. That's our natural tendency, because we want to believe the best for everyone, right? We want to believe the best for everyone, right? But I'm going to tell you right now, when it comes to the church, when it comes to your soul and your walk with Jesus... This is serious business. You can't just overlook it. Why? Because I've been on the receiving end. Some of you have been on the receiving end of being so devastated and destroyed because one guy turned out to be what? False. And some of you right now know people that love Jesus and they won't ever walk into a door again of another church because somebody destroyed their life because they were false. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about. So this is serious. So the first thing is, don't ignore the red flags. Well, you say, okay, George, I've got red flags. What do I do about it? Here's the second point. Here's the second thing you need to see. Allow the questions to lead you to further investigation. See, the red flags are questions. They're the, big, the red flag is actually a big red question mark. And so when you have question marks, you need to then take those question marks, do what the scripture says, and allow for investigation. What do you mean? Like how do you how do you question a pastor? Well, you follow what the scripture is. You find somebody else that has the same kind of questions, and the two of you go and talk to somebody. Or the two of you raise a concern or a question. Did you understand what it says? You you don't challenge an elder by yourself. You challenge an elder with what? Two witnesses or more. That's what the scripture, that's what the apostles tell us to do. But you begin to question. And at, at some point, if things don't change, I'm going to tell you what you do. You walk out. You go somewhere else. Well I can't because great grandma was buried in the backyard. If she could walk away she would too This is about you and your walk with Jesus Gotta be careful. Bring it down to an illustration here that everybody understands. You know, we live in a world where we are very aware of who our children hang out with. If you knew that your child was hanging out with somebody that wasn't right and that could ultimately harm them, would you just let them keep hanging out with that person? No, there's not a parent here that would do that. In fact, we would say that they, you would be neglectful if you did that. Something's wrong with you, and we warn each other. Be careful, be careful, be careful. We do that to protect our what? Our kids. Why don't we do that to protect each other from the spiritual wolves who come from among us? Do you understand? Something to think about. Let me pray for you and for myself.